Well, thank you for joining with us this morning. If you live outside of Ballarat, the, the name of the road won't mean too much to you. But if you live in Ballarat, then you know that Whitehorse Road is not just an ordinary road. For those that are outside of Ballarat, this road joins two suburbs in the ginormous city that is Ballarat. It joins Sebastopol and Mount Clear. And it's a road that is almost in its entirety uphill. It's about a kilometre long, and it, it winds through sort of some of the mining areas that joins these two suburbs. It's so steep that when I pick up my kids from school in our smallest run-around car, the car, if I, even if I have my foot flat to the floor, won't stay on the speed limit on the way up. I need to start changing back gears the hill is that steep. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Rylan, my eldest son, and myself went for a bike ride. Now, it showed two things. Number one, my eldest son is an incredibly good rider and rides every single day. And two, well, I'm suffering a little bit from the COVID-19, those 19 pounds that we're all putting on because of COVID. And we ended up at the foot of this mountain and, and this, this road. We're at the very base of the road. And, and we start taking off. There's a few things about this that are really important. Number one, Ryland is determined to make it to the top of this mountain, the top of this hill, without stopping at all. Two, well, I can't let my son beat me, so I'm trying to keep up with him the whole way. I'm also wearing a face mask because I'm, I'm trying to lead by example and do the right thing. And so we finally get to the top of this kilometre-long uphill stretch. Rylan is celebrating. He's made it. He's done it. He's like, yes, he's ready to go again. By the time I get to the top of the hill, I've had to take my face mask off. My body is full of lactic acid, if you know what that means. I don't know what I'm tasting. I think I'm, I'm almost coughing up blood. I am so tired. I am so broken. I am so exhausted. I'm just, every breath is a gasp. Just, I just can't, get, it's like that. I can't get enough oxygen into my body. I am fully broken. And, and I was actually happy that Ryland was celebrating and reminiscing and sharing the story of, oh, I thought I was going to slow down there, but I kept going and, oh, it was all good. He's sharing the story. And I'm just like, you keep talking, mate, because I'm dying here. Gasping for breath, every breath precious. Just focusing on breathing. Well, today we start a brand new series at York Street called Deep Breath. The idea is that every single one of us needs to take a deep breath, not just physically, but spiritually. Breathing in the things of God, the things that, that sustain our spirit the same way air sustains our body, but breathing out the things that are maybe toxic, but also breathing in a way that brings life to those around us, the, the things that can harm us or the, or the things that we need to get rid of. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that God breathed life into his creation. And my prayer for this series is that God would breathe life into each and every one of us 
once again. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we enter into a brand new series, I pray that you would breathe life into our spirit, that you would give us a newfound energy and resilience because of what you are doing in and through us. May we find our purpose in your breath, and may we be revitalized for the mission that you have called us to carry on. In Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14, we read this. For you created my innermost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. There's a few things in this short two verses of this passage that, that are worth diving into. The first is that you are not a mistake, that you were put on this earth with a plan. You were knitted together in your mother's womb by the creator of the universe. And when we look at ourselves, the way that we are created, the, the way that we breathe, the way that we think, the things that we can create, you go, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by the Creator Himself. Do you know that when you breathe in, that, that your muscle down here called the diaphragm starts to contract and supporting muscles all around the, the lung area, all around the chest cavity and the back start to contract. And as they contract, they grab your lungs and they contract and they expand your lungs. And as the muscles contract, you breathe in. Now, every time you breathe in, air enters your lungs. In that air is oxygen, and we need oxygen to live. Oxygen is something that, that muscles leave, need to survive. And that oxygen is then taken from the lungs into the bloodstream and distributed all around the body and the different muscles, the brain muscle, the, the heart muscle, the lung muscles, but the, the other muscles all over the body. And once the muscles have fulfilled their task, they, they take that oxygen and they use it and then they produce the, the byproduct of using that and that's taken back to the lungs through the blood system and put back into the lungs and as the muscles relax, out comes carbon dioxide. The good goes in, the bad comes out. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amazing the way God has created us. How many of you, when I started talking about breathing, started to focus on your breathing? It's really hard not to, and that's okay. I think we've all done that. Even when we were talking about it as a staff, they were focusing on their breathing. It's all good. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Each and every breath giving life to us. But breathing out isn't just about breathing out the bad. God breathed you know, the world into being. God breathed life into his creation. Breathing out is also a handy thing. You think of an end of a, a hard day. You've worked hard all day. You get home. You find that place around the house or outside sitting in the sun or sitting on the couch and you just go, 
and you relax. It's a good thing. You think of the moments, maybe the year 12 students that studied their GAT exam this week, and you get to the end of that, and you've worked hard, and you've done the study, and you get to the end of it, and you just go, whew, happy that's over. (sighs) The shoulders drop just a little bit. Breathing in and breathing out are a part of life. Without breathing, there is no life. In fact, breath is life. We have to breathe. And so this series is designed that that in a tough season, as we just heard over communion, and, and when things are difficult, it's so important that we get renewed energy, that life that comes through, not just breathing in oxygen, but the spiritual life that comes from the Holy Spirit as we learn to breathe once again. And that's what this series seeks to invest into each and every one of us in a way that we can learn to breathe of the things of God once again. Today, our primary passage in Scripture is found in the book of Ezekiel. Now, if you're... If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to find Ezekiel chapter 37. For those that are new to faith, or maybe you're new to the prophets, or maybe you're just new to Ezekiel, or maybe you need a bit of a a refresher of what's happening in the world, I'm going to speak a little bit to the context because it, it helps frame what's happening in this book. Now, Ezekiel is a prophet, which means God tells him messages which he passes on to his people. God gives him visions and also speaks to him. Now, God also instructs him in the early part of Ezekiel in the book, and he does some odd things. And so if you do decide to read through Ezekiel, that's fine, but just be aware that Ezekiel, out of obedience, does some weird things in the first part of this book of the Bible. The time frame from Ezekiel happens at a time in Scripture and in history, as we know, called the exilic period or the exile period. And so God's people have made the the poor choice, the bad decision not to follow God's way. They've turned away from God. They're following other gods and distracted and following different things. This is after the the great reign of King David and the, the building of the temple of Solomon and And this is a time where those things are established, but they've chosen not to follow God. Now, because of that, God's contract with them was, hey, if you follow me, I'm your God. We're going to do great things. But if you don't follow me, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to take my hands off because I can't help you if you're not living in the way that we agreed you would live. And so I'm just going to step back and say, I love you. And it breaks my heart to see what you're doing, but I can't help you when you're not acknowledging who I am. And so God steps back. What takes place then is the superpower at the time, Babylon, steps in. Babylon comes and attacks the the holy city of Jerusalem and in effect conquers the city but doesn't fully destroy it. Instead, it takes a bunch of slaves from the city, a bunch of Israelites from Jerusalem and takes them away to Babylon. It's this time in, in the history of Scripture that we know that um, people like Daniel and the lions, Dan, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's this period in Scripture. 
Now, from that first group of slaves that have been taken from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon, there is a priest or a prophet. That prophet is known as Ezekiel. And five years after this event takes place, Ezekiel starts to write what God asks him to do in the Scriptures, which we have today. The first part of the Scriptures, as I said, are a bit odd, but it was God's way of saying to Ezekiel, I need you to get the attention of Israel. Because if you don't get their attention, if they don't pay attention to me, if they don't pay attention to these warnings, terrible things are going to happen. And they don't pay attention, and the worst of the worst, you know, Ezekiel's worst nightmare takes place, and the holy city is destroyed. Jerusalem, in chapter 33, is destroyed. The walls are taken down, and the temple is demolished. The place where God dwelt was gone. Their God, their identity, the one that saved them from Egypt, the one that brought them into the promised land, has now been, you can't worship him because the holy place is not there anymore. Now, God is not a, a, a hateful God or a spiteful God. He is a God of love. And while the, this terrible thing takes place, the very next chapter, in chapter 34, God speaks to Ezekiel and says, now I know that's bad news, but I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send somebody to save you. I'm going to send a king that is greater than King David, the great king that united all of the countries. I'm going to send a king that's going to be a messianic king, which means a messiah king. The word messiah means savior. So to people who are in slavery, hear this message. I'm going to send a saving king greater than the greatest king that you've ever had that's going to rescue you from all of the persecution and restore you to the way that you should be. An incredible message. That leads us to our passage today. Some hope that is given in the worst possible situation. Hope that is given when God's people have turned away and they're not following the ways that he called them to follow. And so we start at Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 1 and we read this. And the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me back and forward amongst them, and he saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. The bones were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now, Picture this for a moment. There's a valley. So there's a mountain. There's mountains either side. And then in, in the, the valley part of the mountain is just bones, but not just bones, but dry bones. They've been there for a long, long time. The, the sun and the elements and these bones are all scattered and messed up and they're dry, dry, dry. This is not like a fresh battle scene or anything. This is just a valley of dry, dry bones. Verse 4, and then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make, every, I will make breath into you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover your skin. And I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. 
I'm going to pause there just for a moment. In Ezekiel, there's patterns of four. Now, four is there for a reason, and we'll see it established a little bit more even in this reading. But the, the pattern of four means completeness or wholeness or fullness. Now, we know in, in the early part of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's given a vision from God, and God comes down on his throne, and carrying the throne are four animals, and each of the four animals have four faces. And you're sort of thinking, is this a, a vision or a nightmare? What's going on? But the idea of, of the animals is that each of the faces of the animals represent something, that there's the strongest animal and the fierce animal and the fastest animal and the wisest animal. And the, the four animals mean that they are the completeness of God's creation and the, the fullness and completeness of God's creation, carrying God to the place. And this vision had God over the city of Jerusalem. And then, then as the, the visions progress through the book of Ezekiel, the vision leaves Jerusalem. And we know that Jerusalem falls. And then, then as the people turn back, the, the vision of, of the, the, the throne of God comes to Babylon. And God, God comes to his people and meets them there in this vision. And then, and then we see the throne once again turn up to Jerusalem. And we know that later in Scripture, in the book of Ezra, the temple is rebuilt and the throne, God's presence, would come back to Jerusalem. In the book of Nehemiah, the walls are built around Jerusalem once again and God dwelt in that place. Then we know in the New Testament, because of Jesus Christ, when Jesus died on the, on the cross, that the veil that contained the fullness of God, the holy of holies, that special place was torn apart and now we have access to the completeness of God, the fullness of God, even today. Now, this vision that Ezekiel had of God on this throne with the animals and the four faces is the same imagery that we see also echoed in Revelation. And so we see this pattern of four start to play out once again in our passage today. And I will attach tendons to you and I will make flesh come upon you. And I will cover you with skin, and I will put breath into you. I will make you complete. I will make you full. I will make you whole. And life will come into you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Continuing on in verse 7. And so I prophesied as I command. And as I, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked at the tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And the word that we see for breath in these passages isn't just breath. The word for breath means breath and wind and spirit. It's not just breath, it's breath and wind and spirit, and we know this is important because we see it time and time again through Scripture as God comes like a, a rushing wind, as Moses is up on Mount Sinai, as the prophets sit looking for God. We know that the, the, the disciples who were in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, that they are sitting there waiting for God to send the messenger. And what they see is a wind. They describe it like a wind entered the room, and they were filled with the breath, the spirit comes into them and they're filled with that spirit without the breath. There's no life because breath is life. 
We go on in verse 9. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath of the four winds, the completeness, the fullness of God. May the breath, the spirit of the four winds, breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them, and they came to life. They stood to their feet, a vast army. An army. Why would they be an army? What is going on? What is an army for? Well, an army is there to, to stand for the things of the country, the, the, the freedoms, the liberty, the, the ideals and the values that the country stands for. An army is there for a purpose, to defend those freedoms, to fight for what is right. And we see in this passage that there is a purpose for the breath of God that enters them. Without the breath... They had three things and they weren't brought to life. There was not a fullness in them. They weren't able to live. And I believe that there are some people right now because of isolation, because of the, 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 they've missed out on being able to come to church and worship the way they used to worship or, or spend time in Scripture the way they used to do it or unpack Scripture with their brothers and sisters in Christ in, in the way they used to do it. And because of that, we're just feeling a bit dry. Now, by no means, and I'm saying that we are dead and dry, like the dry bones in this story. This is talking about Israel's spiritual death. And it was saying Israel is not just dead. It is dead, dead. It is dry. It is dust. These are dead, dry bones. They have been dead for a long time. But even what is dead can be brought to life with the breath of God. And I want to say to us, if you're feeling dry, if you're feeling spiritually that you're a bit dead, you don't have that energy, you don't have that zest for life, then God wants to breathe his breath of life back in you and renew you once again the same way as he prophesied to Ezekiel that his people would come to life. With their, there would be hope. There would be a king. There would be a saviour. I want to say that even in a pandemic, that there is hope, there is life, and we have a saviour today. I want us to spend some time this week focusing on what it is to breathe. What is it to breathe? Through this series, we're going to unpack what it is to breathe in and to breathe out, to inspire, expire. What does it look like to breathe? But this week, I want to offer us a deep challenge in the busyness, in the distractedness, much the same that Israel was distracted with the other things around. We need to make a focused and intentional decision to stop, to make time to stop and breathe. Because if we don't breathe, we die. We need to make an intentional Act, a decision to stop and breathe because breath is life. And as we stop, how do we breathe the things of God? And while this is a series and we're going to unpack that in the weeks to come, I want to offer this little tip this week as we stop and we breathe. That we're not just doing this for ourselves. We're doing this because God has called you to be a part of his army. There is a purpose for God's spirit in us.
There is a purpose for why God wants to breathe life into us once again. And it's not just so that we can go, ah, that's nice. Isn't it great being a Christian? Isn't it great having Jesus? That's not what this is about. There is a vast army of people needing to be breathed into God's Spirit to be on fire for God so that we can go and make disciples, that we can lead people to Jesus Christ and create disciples that are empowered to do the same. There is a mission. There is a vision. There is a spiritual war that is taking place in this world, and we are called to fight that battle for the glory of our God. There is purpose in following God, but we have access to him through what Jesus did on the cross and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this week, I want to challenge us to make time to stop and breathe. And if you need some help with that, I want to give you two thoughts this week as we make time to breathe. The first is this, as you breathe in, breathe this and go... God, what do you have for me? That's it. God, what do you have? What am I taking in from you? What do you have for me? And what can I do for you? What do you have for me? I'm a member of your army. What do I need in my life? How can I serve you? And as we breathe in the rhythm that God has called us to live, we become the people that God has called us to be and we're able to fight the battles that God has called us to fight. My prayer is that as God breathed life into his creation in Genesis chapter 2, as he breathed life through the Spirit into his disciples in Acts chapter 2, that he would breathe life into York Street once again. And we would come alive through the Spirit to be on fire for the purpose that he has called us to live. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us enough that no matter where we are in our journey, that you can breathe life into dead bones, that you can breathe life into our spirit, you can breathe, breathe life into our, our relationships, you can breathe life into all that we are so that we can fulfill your purpose. God, I pray that as we spend time this week learning once again to breathe, that we would breathe deeply the things of you. And in doing that, we would have encounters and be on fire for the mission that you've called us to be. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.